Let's go to Radio Free Scaro, he says. The people are 600 feet tall. You have to talk to them in hot air balloons. And the guest studio is made out of one of their hats, he says. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but I, I don't see any huge hats. Giles, Paul, this could be the most exciting thing I've ever seen. You're kidding. How can you be excited about a rubbish podcast in a rubbish studio? Because, assembled podcasters, this is not something who. This has just been made to sound like something who. The craftsmanship involved. Can you imagine? What? Then where are we? I don't know. Something must have yanked us off course. Look at the detail on that white noise. Right, but... Who would mock up something who? Our listener, maybe, trying to recreate the source of our creativity. Our what? More like the source of our... Like when the fans create TARDIS consoles in Minnesota. Whoever made these knobs and sliders, I'm I'm shaking his stroke her hand stroke tentacle. Have you seen these? Hmm? Look at the labels underneath. J.R. Vivity. Tim? Too slow. Richard? Nobody's listening. Giles, inaccuracy. Paul, causing offence. What does it mean? I don't know. Let's find out. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to what's quite literally episode five of Something Who. Wow. Uh, It's not actually our fifth episode, though, because, you know, we did that one on Terence Dix. And then there was also that one that I did with with Tim a while back. You cheated on us with with another podcaster. Mm. Yeah. So um, it's about the seventh or eighth. But anyway, episode five. And uh, today... (laughs) We're going to be looking at the Horns of Nymon, which mm-hmm. is an exciting moment for me because um, I'd never seen it before. Oh, Blimey, good lord, really? Okay. Could, could you imagine that? Uh, a man of my age never having seen the Horns of Nymon. <laughs> and also, the God Complex. Ah. Mm. Two loads of bull in one, um, one podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect for us, isn't it? <laughs> so anyway, keen-eyed listeners... Keen-eyed, keen-eared listeners will already have heard that we have uh, in our presence uh, Paul. Yes, you have us, me. Uh, And indeed, Giles. Hello there. Has Paul started using the royal we now? (laughs) Well, well, I hear that he's been hanging out with with the uh, glitterati of the Who world, so so perhaps um, Mm. some of that's worn off. Mm. (laughs) I'm worn out, that's all it is. (laughs) I'll perk myself up. Yeah, yeah. It must be buoyed up by that little, um, how should we describe it, a, 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 a moment in, in the spotlight of Doctor Who wonderfulness, or at least Big Finish. Yes, I, uh, we had a great good do. We, re- we really did, celebrating 20 years. Uh, some of us were celebrating 20 years, some of us were celebrating lesser periods of time. Mm-hmm. And uh, a jolly good time was had by all. Even Mr Moffat was there, and I don't think he's ever written for Big Finish, so... Um, you know, these freeloaders get everywhere. I was going to say, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's about time he got his um, his pen out, really. Mind you, that would reduce the op- the opportunities for everyone else, so maybe not. Mm. 
Giles, any, anything, um, I mean, obviously, uh, it's, it, Paul said it's a very high bar there, but anything you want to tell us about uh, in the last oh, month or so since we got together? Not terribly, no, no. I've just been off off on travels a little bit and um, having a much-needed break. Mm. And yes, yeah, I'm sorry I couldn't make it from, I think you recorded the um, Terence Dix tribute when I was otherwise otherwise unavailable due to either holiday or impending deadline. And mm. I was um, sorry not to be able to take part in that, but it was a very nice little thing you put together there. Dear old Tezza. He'll be sadly missed, but I, I'm not mm. sure I can really add, add much more to what what you guys said with regard to his deep influence in terms of the books more than anything. Mm. Yes, without him, I wouldn't be, uh, probably wouldn't be doing what I do today. God help me. Not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. We'll count it as a good thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Very good, and I think I've had a holiday in between podcasts four and four and a half, but I've been back at work for weeks now, so I can barely remember it. Uh. Okay, well, I think the moment we can keep putting it off if we like, but it's, <laughs> it's pretty pointless, so I think we're going to have to launch into The Horns of Nymon and uh, and what we made of it. I mean, I, I suppose the first thing I wanted to say is I'm not quite sure how I missed it first ah, time round. That round. was going to be my first question. Mm. So did you, had you seen the rest of the series? So, I'm pretty sure that I saw some of Destiny of the Daleks, although I may not have seen all of it. I definitely saw City of Death. I remember seeing that very clearly. Mm. I think I saw it twice, because I'm sure it was repeated. There were repeats of Destiny and City, I think. Yeah. And then I have absolutely no memory of Creature from the Pit or Nightmare of Eden or... Horns of Nymon. So I'm pretty sure I didn't see any of them. But have we, have we been through this before? Were you one of the legions of serious-minded fans of a certain age who abandoned it because it was getting too silly? Well, the sort of age that this, uh, that I was was 11, so I'm not sure that I was old enough for that. Uh, I just started at secondary school, and I just started reading Doctor Who magazine as well, that Doctor Who Weekly as it was then. Mm. So it's not as if I wasn't, you know, enthusiastic about Doctor Who still. And I can't honestly think I had anything better to do on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. Space so, 1999? No, it definitely wasn't that. So <laughs> I, I, I find it unaccountable. But there we go. So I, I thought it was important that I should correct that error 40 years on. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I, mean, I have seen Nightmare of Eden in, in, in the interim, and I quite like that. I've never quite caught up with Creature from the Pit yet. Yeah. While we're just um, randomly reminiscing, Nightmare of Eden is one of the tiny handful of stories I haven't seen since the original broadcast. Right. I'm not saving it for a special occasion, mm. but uh, looking forward well, to I that. Well, I thought it was quite good. I mean, I, I mean, it's not brilliant by any means, but but um, but the, the concept is rather good. And, and okay, I think some of the characters seem to be in a different production from the rest, but that apart uh, and, and the effects are the effects. But all in all, I think it's not bad. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. No. Uh, John, did you watch um, Horns and Nymon? Uh, first I time round? don't really I... remember it. My my recollection of season 17 is the, the only two stories I can remember watching are Destiny and City of Death, which I suspect might well have been on the on the mm. repeats. And right. and I and the the others are kind of they're etched into my mind because of those photographic covers of the early issues of Doctor Who Weekly mm. with mandrels on the rampage and ah, lovely and mantle. so on and so forth. But for some reason, I I don't have any strong memories of, of these particular ones, uh, um, those those particular episodes. 
I think yeah. I think I might have caught a bit of creature from the pit at the time. I have very strong memories of all of season seventeen. It's why I'm constantly defending it. It, it caught. I think I was exactly the right age for it. Mm-hmm. And everything from as you, you know the nice big posters in Doctor Who Weekly made the whole year seem rather special to me. Mm-hmm. I, I do remember Horns of Nine when I was just checking the broadcast dates. I think. I thought one episode was was New Year's Eve, but it's not exactly. It's sort of between Christmas and but New Year's. It was, it was, I was a Christmas round, sort of. Uh, I was yeah. round my nan's house for one of them, and I remember that because it was always awkward watching Doctor at somebody else's house, <laughs> a house where they were less sympathetic to <laughs> to the program and to me, perhaps mm. <laughs> any combination thereof. <laughs> but happy days. Don't tell me they actually talked while it was on. I can't remember it that well. <laughs> uh, it was probably more more sort of tutting and what's this rubbish and why is he still watching this? He's eight. Shouldn't he have moved on by now? Prob- <laughs> that sort of thing. So where, how are we starting? I mean, is it fair to start with you, Richard, as you watch this for the first time at a relatively advanced age? <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, like with, with, with many stories, I think it has a reasonably good start to it and, and, it's, and it's quite quite an interesting concept. You know, for once the wobbly sets are supposed to be wobbly because it's an old spaceship. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I, I got a whiff of seeds of death out of it. It, it. it felt it was a bit at the fag end of a season, and everyone was a bit tired, and they they, they didn't quite have the same enthusiasm for it they might have had back in May or June when they were recording the first one. Mm. And it's a bit uneven, but I mean, it, it isn't. It isn't awful. I mean, for many years it was classed as being the absolute worst that Doctor Who had ever been by certain fans, and I don't certainly don't think it's that. One of the thoughts I had was that I'd stumbled onto the pilot episode of a, of a program called Romana, mm-hmm. where she travels around you know, the universe with her companion, the Doctor, sorting out problems. It, it, it seemed to be very Lala Ward centric. Mm. That might be one of the things I like about it. It's possibly one of the last really good outings for Romana. I have to go mm. back to stories like this to remind me why I like Romana 2 so much, because recently, for a different project, I was watching a lot of season 18, and Romana is not much fun there, and the way she's mm. written the following year doesn't bring out the best in Lala's performance. But here, mm. I think she's sparkling. And yes, I mean, you know, all the way from Destiny through to here, she is, in various different ways, an equal of the Doctor, sometimes even supplanting him. <laughs> she has Nix's costume in Destiny of Daleks, and here, as you say, she's mm. possibly. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how how much this comes from Tom's performance and how much from was inspired by the writing. But Tom is at his silliest here, and whether yeah. obviously that doesn't have any connection to the writing of Romana as the more capable of the two. But there's it's, it's definitely a, a connection in the mind of the viewer. Yeah. She almost seems like his carer at times. It's yeah, I think Tom is silly because he's got nothing to do. I think I think he I think he's he gets a bit bored, and so inevitably because he's got you know so little to do, he, he's forced to do a bit of mugging to camera and a bit of silly business because you know what else is he going to do? Mm. Uh, other than that, he just has to shout "Got it!" several times. It's a really. fair point. I think his, his worst scenes, his worst scenes in this story. And thus the worst scenes in this story. And thus, for me, the worst scenes in the whole of series 17 are the ones where he's stuck on his own in the TARDIS in episode Mm. two. And he's clearly being indulged by the director. Maybe Graham Williams has wandered off inadvisedly. Mm. And somehow we end up with 
the silliness being turned up from something that would amuse from whimsicality that would amuse children into something yeah. breaking the fourth wall kind of silliness which is when yeah. you know even i have to take a step back and say hang on hang on should mm. we really be using goon show sound effects and mm. and um magic uh, magicking rosettes out of thin air i mean it's and as you say it's probably just because he felt a need to liven up these rather tedious scenes where he mm. was stuck mm. yeah I mean, oddly, oddly, this this director you're talking about, Kenny McBain of Inspector Morse fame. Yeah. So I mean, mm, it, yes. know, it's, it's not that he doesn't know what he's doing. Well, I had to. Well, you say that. I, <laughs> I, I, had, I did do the service of checking his CV because I wasn't going to say anything. But cause, well, because I had some criticisms <laughs> to advance. <laughs> he appears yeah. to have had a much better career later on as a producer than. It, then as a director, and it is, right. he'd done very little directing before this, and not all that much afterwards. Of okay. any of any note, a lot of soap operas, and well, not a lot. A lot of what he did was soap operas, but that's mm -hmm. that wasn't very much. So yes, I don't know what was going on here. As you say, it's it's a, always been a temptation to look at the story as the the end of season seventeen, and uh, the idea that some things have ramped up, you're all ramped down, mm. you're suggesting that people were tired at the end of the series. I'm wondering if perhaps the giving Tom leeway to inject um, bits of business was getting was progressing story by story. But of course, mm. you mustn't forget that it wasn't actually the end. It was supposed to be Shada after this. Mm. Yes, exactly, and, um, yeah. Which we can tell from um, what was made. doesn't mm. seem to exhibit a progression of this tiredness or silliness. So it's not quite as simple as that. Mm. No, no, but then, of course, I mean, uh, Seeds of Death begat, well, via Space Pirates, the war game. So, I mean, it... it <laughs> It, it, it may be more a kind of mid to late season lull rather than the absolute end mm. of the line. Well, I've, I've seen it mentioned in reviews where people have said, "Oh, if if Shadow had aired, then Nineone would be seen in possibly mm. more of the spirit that it was intended as being a little bit of a late season, pan you know, like Christmas Panto <laughs> yeah, sort yeah. of yeah, yeah. enterprise." Which is, I don't think it's. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say it carries it off perfectly on that. On that score, but uh, unlike, um, for instance, well, the only other time I can remember who really airing at Christmas was um, Greatest Show, and that, of course, was accidental, mm. or I don't think would have been known when they were planning season twenty-five. And yet, Greatest Show is is perfect as a Christmas Christmas special, Doctor mm. Who really or seasonal kind of thing from that point of view. And I remember it being on at that time of year and loving the fact they were airing something that was quite that you know. And a Sats Christmas special, hmm. but it's a um, yeah, it's a curate's egg. This this story, isn't it? it really is. But it's it's funny because there's some things that are, there's some things that are well executed, but I, I kind of feel like there's a there's a breakdown of it. Does feel like people were trying to get different things out of the script, and the director by the end of the production was generally not not succeeding in getting everything firing in all mm. in the same direction. So so different bits go wandering off in different directions. When you mentioned the shaky sets earlier, by the way, Richard, mm. I, I, yeah. I meant to make a note of that actually because I I thought well that's you know and the special effects of the of the outside of the ship are sadly um hampered by the fact they're on video rather than you know a couple, right. couple of seasons earlier we'd have had nice film we'd have had yeah. nice film work from the in schoons kind of school of, you know, all the stuff that, you know, they had in Invisible Enemy and so mm. on, which lifts it. But um, I did think, okay, well, they've got a, a little bit of effort. It's It was quite nice actually seeing the um, 
the bit where they crash the ship or smash mm. up the ship at any rate. And the fact they had actually designed, they aren't just reduced to doing the um the standard Captain Kirk style, everybody roll from side to side of the studio yeah. while yeah while they yeah. shake the camera around. They, Absolutely. They'd actually, they'd actually built a set that involved some some kind of framework that was actually able to judder around and shake things up yeah. properly. And I thought, yeah, okay, definite, that's... Definite plus point. Yeah, it's going mm. it's going a little bit above and beyond what you'd necessarily expect. Mm. There was a moment where there's a line of dialogue where he's saying, oh, we're, we're heading straight for the ship, um, mm. I think, in the TARDIS. But but unfortunately, the um, the model shot, they're veering off in, in a funny direction. Mm. I mean, they're... So so yeah. Uh, it, you know what? I I didn't have any problems with the model shots, and until you just said that, John, I hadn't noticed that they were on videotape. And by which I mean, oh, obviously, okay. obviously now you say it, I realise that they are. Mm. But it, I didn't notice it in the sense of oh, that's a shame. That mm. looks a bit crap compared to what we're used to. Yeah, I don't know. I, they, I assume there's a reason they did it on videotape, possibly mm. because there were some shots with so many elements that were superimposed one on another, mm. such as when the the TARDIS and various asteroids and bits of junk mm. and all. Oh, and the and the use of the uh, they needed to superimpose that um, force field tunnel mm, yes, effect. Yes, yeah, true. I, I thought it all looked fine, and maybe that so, was the yeah. maybe that's the root cause of cause plenty of, of worse that. effects before and after and after in the eighties. Mm. I, I liked the explosion at the end. I thought that was <laughs> yeah. mm. well, that was Perfect. that was on film, and of course, thinking about it, yeah, I'm probably not being entirely fair because, of course, earlier in that season, you know, it's the same season, and you've got City of Death. Which obviously mm. has great model work. Yeah, yeah. So it was probably not so much a sign of budget cuts as it was, yeah, the limitations of or, or something being driven by the fact they needed to needed to put video effects over it afterwards. Mm. Thing is, I I like this one. Mm. I I um I've always defended it. I I won't say I staunchly defend it. No, I do staunchly defend it. I don't staunchly defend it because I think it's a piece of genius i staunchly defend it because i think that the disparity between the its atrocious reputation and and the reality is far too great mm. if you look beyond i don't i don't think the production's that bad but if you can look behind that i think it's a very solid and, and ingenious doctor who story which i think is true mm. of every script in season 17 which mm. is why and also i'd say the previous year um, mm. Anthony Reid as a script editor and Douglas Adams as a script editor both I think presided over stories that, uh, that were mm. very imaginative compared to a lot of the who we'd had for the previous decade or mm. so and also very competent narratively mm. just good yeah. solid storytelling yeah I think the reason this this one in particular gets the flack is because of those just this handful of moments when for whatever reason, it goes too far, and mm. most no, none of that is is in the script. And no. I, I was only really watching it this time that I was reminded that it's it's actually got less comedy in it than some of the other scripts that that year. It's fairly straight, yeah. Um, more like possibly one of the, the scripts that Anthony Reid was responsible for the previous year. It's um, it's got it's got quite a lot of funny lines, got a witty mm. dialogue. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and some of those lines seem to be dug seem to be straight out of the Hitchhiker's Guide as well. You know, there's the the, the line where he says, "Weakling scum." <laughs> why 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 don't you give me the gun and then I can keep an eye on myself so I don't get up to any funny business? Mm. <laughs> and then yeah, well here as you rightly say, 
we are. You know, both of them from that that scene with um, Arthur Dent in the mud. So, I mean, I, I you know I can't be sure, but it just just feel like um, D- Douglas Adams is peppering it up with a bit of comedy after the event. The other thing he might have peppered up, I think, is the science. Um, there are a couple of nice, quite nice scientific concepts in this, which there isn't really much of in um, in season sixteen. So I think that's almost certainly down to Douglas Adams. I th- Mm. Which um, and I'm sorry to go on about this again, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna <laughs> boil down this my obsession with science in season seventeen and eighteen one more yeah. time, just in case anybody has been exposed to me on a podcast recently hasn't picked up on it yet. Because I, I seem to have spent the last few months talking about this. We started with with Christopher Hamilton Bidmead on Frontios, do you remember on our last mm. edition? Yeah. Indeed, and yes. I started rabbit I started rabbiting on about about his obsession with how he brought science back into Doctor Who and how it really isn't as simple as that because it hadn't not only had it not gone away but there was it was in it was flourishing it was in good health before mm. he took over he just mm. for some reason hadn't noticed and then I uh, did a rival podcast where I spent ages talking about season 18 <laughs> and made exactly the same point again but really I mean what have we got here there's the there's the the Nyman's creating a black hole yeah. Mm. In orbit over the planet as a hyperspace wormhole. Yes. To allow yeah. them to. Which is nice. That's a nice yeah. scientific idea. Uh, Charles, you can explain whether that makes any sense or not. I uh, mean. Yes, well. Yeah. Sorry, it, it's also good on. narratively because it's, um, it's a mystery. This story is structured as a series of mysteries that take us from one place to another. What? Mm-hmm. Another detail which is um, not intrinsic to the story, and I think I don't, it's possible is added by Douglas, is the idea that um, the Doctor suddenly notices that the from above, the maze, the labyrinth, looks like a circuit board. Mm-hmm. And they've added in the explanation that might be why the walls keep changing, because mm-hmm. they are logic gates um, opening and closing in a... Again, Giles, can you explain? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not, he doesn't use the expression logic gates. If it had been the next year mm-hmm. under CHB, they almost certainly would have done. Yes, but yeah. um, he uses he uses another expression for the, which type of printed circuit board does he say? Oh, I can't remember. Oh Lord, sorry. Did you pick um, up on that? Anyway, I didn't, I didn't pick up on that one. That's, it's yeah. a nice little detail, but it's... I watched the featurette on the DVD, and Anthony Reid said that he had had that idea of of the of the printed circuit board. Excellent, good. I'm glad it was him and not not Douglas, because that means he's a, an even better, more rounded writer than I thought. Mm. What's odd about that? Do you know what? I'm going to come back to it. I can't tell you what's odd about that, <laughs> that whole subplot, because it links into uh, to the gold complex as well. Mm. So I'll park that. But anyway, um, I think it's a jolly, entertaining story. It fills its, it progresses through the four parts, four episodes, in a way that I like my stories to do, in in the sense that episode th- there's continual progression of the narrative. So it's not. Doesn't just set up a stall in episode one and then run around for the next three. Mm. What was I saying about the comedy? I don't think I think the main difference between this and possibly Creature of the Bit, Nightmare of Eden, there there aren't any funny characters in this. So Graham Crowden has chosen <laughs> to introduce some comedy to, to uh, liven things up a bit for himself. Yeah. Mm. And um, again, that sort of acting isn't to everyone's taste, is it? But I laughed and laughed and laughed at his performance, and it and it didn't undercut the point of the character to me. It just added to it. it wasn't he wasn't fighting against the character as written. No, no. I think it just, you know, I can understand fully understand that some people don't want to see that in Doctor Who. 
But uh, yeah, when he yells, my dreams of conquest, it's mm. just sublime. Uh, mm. it, is, it is pantomime, but in the yeah. best way. If, you, if you're going to hire Graham Crowden to do a role like that, that's what you're going to get. Oh, I yes. Mean, mm. yeah. I think, yeah. I could, and, I you could know, watch him for hours. Yeah. His second in command plays it perfectly straight, which balances it out. Yeah. Mm. It's strange. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm not blind to the production flaws. I th- there are all of the extras uniformly are absolutely terrible. They uh, that, <laughs> the, that again is a, is a flaw that people seem to have picked up on in a lot of season seventeen. I remember Destiny of the Daleks gets it in the neck for the extras being particularly mm. appalling in the background. But this lot are very peculiar. I don't know. <laughs> yes. But um, I don't know. They all look rather past it. But perhaps that's deliberate because the just to emphasise the fact that Scon on Empire. Well, is, yes, yeah, I is in decline. I... I made a note to that effect that I think this this idea of them being a, a bunch of old farts in yeah, dreams that they'll, you know, the, des- and they're, all, yes. they're always banging on about the second squad and empire. Mm. Mm. A stroke second world war. Mm, yeah. Yes, I said, this, <laughs> I've got a note here that the Scon and Council, the Scon and I Council, come over like a question time audience. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, in the brief so, bits that we see them. With a bit, with a higher quality of of. Um, Supporting artist acting and, mm. more, and more time and sympathetic, sympathetic direction that would have, that could have come across quite strongly and, mm. and seemed satirical, but as it is, we have to read that into it. But I think mm. it's there. I think it's there in the script. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and there are there are mm. parallels, uh, oddly enough, for something that written forty years ago with our present day situation. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, people look looking back at the past glories. Anyway, sorry, go on. Mm. I think you. I think you're quite right, Richard. And I think um, I my only, I think my only issue with the script. As such, is really based would be based on the um, the fact that it does leave the Doctor, you know, lounging around the TARDIS or hanging around the TARDIS for mm. far too long, and then doesn't really find all that much room to do. As you say, it's the Romana show. It's not a bad thing in itself because because Romana's very engaging, but mm. it's a shame they didn't find a more rewarding subplot for you know for the Doctor, like mm. post post crash. It seems. Yes, it seems it. It just feels a bit. I don't know. Maybe it, it it gets my back up because I know I know fan of you know the Sayward era for its incredibly lengthy TARDIS scenes and mm. anything like that. I tend to balk against and just think, get them out of TARDIS and can we get mm. on with the adventure? <laughs> but yeah, that's really my only issue with the plot or with the with the script as such. But I do think there are things where they. They sort of fail, and you can see what the script is going for. And then, yes, it does. It does slightly get get lost in the in the mix. They somewhere somewhere on the line lose the impetus because you know the director maybe hasn't got a firm enough hand on the tiller, or just or it's just other production related issues. So, for instance, that thing with the you know I think it's rather a great idea that you know, the society of bickering old senile old men, or rather mm-hmm. ineffective and prissy, and the stuff with the with the two pilots at the start. I think. Yeah. I think the thing is, I, th- I think Malcolm Terrace, of which we get quite a lot, and <laughs> it's great. <laughs> More than you'd like to see. Well, you know, yeah. and I, th- I think, I think he over. I know, I, the Weakling Scum gag is is great, but I kind of think he's maybe it doesn't quite bring out the idea that here's an old old guy trying to look butch and tough quite as much as maybe it could, and the fact that he causes the entire plot by by virtue of his. He's wanted to take the shortcut in the first place in those opening scenes. It's slightly then not. I don't know. I just think there's something about the the tone of the performance that doesn't quite quite bring it out and remind. Yeah. Make no, you realise quite what a ridiculous man this is. 
He's not very good, is he? But mm. I mean, the, but it's a nice idea that mm. we, these are not Terry Nation style competent mm. space captains. They are. They're. It's more like the uh, Warriors Gate the following year with bickering, mm. irritable. Yes, it's somewhere between the two, isn't it? They. Mm. These people clearly still are hanging on to some sense of honour and duty, and mm. and again we're again we're you know, we're just. pointing out that seventeen and eighteen are far, have far more in common than um you know, than mm. they you know, than they do in differences really. It's just fundamentally there are the characters are mostly people. They're very human in in a Williams era. I I find, mm. and that's the main thing you lose the following year. Mm. You end up with stories like Megloss where they're they're nothing other than just names on a page. Mm, yes. And I would I would always rather have characters that fe- that feel like two-dimensional people played mm. by Mal- shouting Malcolm Terrace is still better than one-dimensional. Mm, yes. But I th- I think that thing about the the sort of the society of on on Skonos is somewhat again it slightly misses the mark the way they I think just the way they cast the younger soldiers on on Skonos there's maybe not quite the development there or that you know so maybe that's a slight failure in the script or something that was cut that it would be nice to have the idea that old um Sorak is the young younger commander isn't he hmm. and he's really the only one of the younger Skonan characters that that gets a speaking part and not the, not the many people on Skonos get speaking parts I, th- I kind of think okay that idea about whether you've got the like the old men and then the you know dreaming of the second Skonan empire and then than the Caddo youth, but they haven't actually done anything. Yeah, really. that's more the... like the sort of Armageddon factor of setup, isn't mm. it? I think, wasn't that? Got... Yeah, well, I guess that would make sense. It also reminded me of, of uh, the Space Museum, all those years ago. Oh yes, a, yes. A militaristic empire that's f- mm. fallen on lean times. Oh yes, mm. yeah, yes. I love that. Welcome to um, what's the planet? I can't remember the planet. Xeros. <laughs> Xeros, a planet the in the. And but and two other Morocks, yeah. yeah. It's just just the way he, the the guy proudly announces, "Welcome to Zero, it's a planet in the Morock Empire." It's like, <laughs> "Welcome to it's like company branding." It's, um, but I like the, I like the fact that um, as I said, it's a it's an unfolding mystery, hmm. and we're ahead. We know more than Soldeed knows more than everyone else on his planet. Hmm. But he certainly doesn't know everything no. because the. The Nyman are one step ahead of him. Yes, and yeah. we're ahead of him because we know some of what the Nyman are up to, but not all of it. Mm. The truth that is somewhere ahead of us as well. So mm. it's, it's working on the plot is advancing on several different levels. Mm. Yeah, and the few characters within it all have nice, complicated inter interwebs of relationship. Mm. So I, you know, well, I find it thoroughly entertaining. I would yeah. be happy to put this on for a, an afternoon of non-challenging Doctor Who. Yeah. It's just going to make me laugh. Well, what I like about it is that it's clearly struck a note with Toby Whithouse for later on you know, for mm. our discussion because it's it's not just the fact that the central character has a sort of you know bull-like appearance there's a whole, there's a whole raft of things between the two stories so you know the, the the issue of faith i mean that's that that's very important in the god complex mm. but it's also very important in in this one as well you know the the yeah. the, the, the faith of the sacrifices that you know them coming to to the planet and giving themselves up is for the greater good. The faith of what's the name of the female character? Tika. Uh, Tika. Tika. Yeah. Yes. So Tika's faith 
in Seth mm. as well, which you know is is, is misplaced and yet isn't. Mm. You know, is 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 an interesting feature. And of course, the the the, the pretend faith that Soldeed has in the Nymon mm. that that he's sort of projecting onto the rest of the of of the populace, and yet there's also the sort of faith that Soldeed has in his own ability to be one step ahead of the Nymon that's completely misplaced mm. that, that, that that falls apart. So so yeah, it's it, it's interesting that it's mentioned early on that Soldeed is the only scientist left on the planet. Yeah, yeah, isn't, isn't mm, it? That's true. Which I think sets up with hindsight the fact that although he pretends to worship the Nymon as a god, like the rest of the the populace, it's not entirely clear. Yeah, he seems to have. A complex relationship. He knows all about enough about science that he should be able to see what he should be wondering why this god is manifesting his powers through instruments of scientific progress mm. rather than just conjuring up miracles out of thin air. Yeah. You think that would hmm. ring alarm bells for him? Well, but, he does um, at one point. He says the, the Nymon is as a as a god to us. Hmm. I don't think he. Yeah, I, don't I think, think he, he. I don't think he thinks no, they I think are he does know. gods. But as you say. Interesting link. Hmm. Interesting link um, considering, and I'll file this away for the section where we talk about the the myths that underpin both stories, but the Minotaur of Greek myth wasn't a god. Nobody worshipped it. Hmm. So that's hmm. an interesting element which is unique to both Horns and Iron and God complex. So that is something we can discuss under whether or not <laughs> the links, the Nymon references in God complex were there in Toby Whithouse's mind from the start, hmm. or just or just something that was added, as I originally thought when I first saw it all these years ago, as, a, as you know, just a one-liner. I, I'm certain it isn't. I mean, I, I, I think it. I think the that the God complex is built absolutely on top of what's in this story. Mm. I mean, perhaps to some extent unconsciously, but nonetheless, that there there are so many links between the two that I I can't see it as being coincidental. Yeah. No, I think that now, having just watched them back to back to back at the time i thought it was one of that small subset of new who stories where yeah. somebody had spotted a, a potential yeah. link with a classic story and put in a one-liner just to amuse the fans mm. which uh, the most extreme example is oh let's pretend the it's been pointed out that the you'd look a bit like sensorite so let's put in a reference to them being from neighboring mm. planets you know but there are other examples of those tenuous little nods mm. yeah. and i i thought this was that and now i don't think it was. Mm. Have we moved on? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I was going to say yes. I was. I was going to somewhat critique the 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 Anethans. Unfortunately, that was going to be another of my points where I was going to say <laughs> I, I think it. I think things rather fail to really play up. You know what's in the script, and I think I think there's more. Again, there could be more comedy to be wrought from the idea of the relationship between Seth and Tika. And the the hero worship and his you know and the fact he's not really what he it feels like it's somewhat yeah. un- underplayed compared to yeah yeah compared to what you it's could get out of it. A bit like um, Paradise Towers as well, there isn't it? That yes, yeah, yes, that yeah. Of, which again doesn't entirely work the way the author probably. Yeah, but then again, intended. yes, then again, old what's his name playing Pex. At least he he knows. <laughs> He knows how to. Yeah, he he knows what the part calls. Yeah, he knows what the part calls for in some. Although I suppose it's not quite the same. I think Janet Ellis is doing better here than than what's his name Simon. Simon Gibbs Kent. Kent, Yes. Gibbs Kent. Mm. Um, Well, let's blame him. mm, Who had a very yeah seems to have had a rather sad life. Apparently, he was very prolific. Some other people and all sorts of things, and then 
died at the age of 28 from, a, um, from morphine poisoning, so Damn. presumably suicide. I think there's a misadventure caused by morphine poisoning, but hmm. um, rather sad. But And he was in, oh, he was into the, To Serve Them All My Days, amongst others. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yes, he popped up in all sorts of things through the 70s and 80s. Uh, but yes, I do think, yeah, Janet Ellis... Um, Gets the better, you know. She, I think she gets it more than more than he does, or, you know, without a firm directorial hand there. It's very analog technology on display. You know, it's all kind of dials and 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 uh, meters and and uh, you know the sort of thing that was electronics in the seventies, mm. but very quickly stopped. You know, uh, these days, if you were doing printed circuit boards and computers, it would all be digital technology. But it, you can see that. For, for the for the for the 70s it was clearly all about that kind of mm. um if we're still talking about if we're still talking about the visual sign it, mm. actually it's not it's not an, a worthy observation to go out on but I, I think it looks quite good the direction is incredibly inconsistent there are sometimes he just appears to be pointing the camera mm. and waving it from side to side to follow the actors now other times when he's in there with them mm. there are some quite good stuff some use of low angles and some handheld camera work which Again, oddly, remind me of Destiny of the Daleks. Another story which at the time got a lot of criticism for its direction, but if you step back and look at it now, there's some interesting mm. things going on. Mm. He's, um, I wouldn't say he's doing his best, Kenny McBain, but he's, I've seen worse. Mm. I've seen blander direction. It's just inconsistent. Mm. Mm. Um, yes, also on... And it's, it's got a lot of atmosphere. It's not, it's not overlit. Think of all those stories in the following decade that were mm, where, yes. just, uh, where over lighting appeared with the default. And we hear stories about how directors had to fight to get the lights turned down. Well, that didn't appear to be a problem here. Mm. Mm. True. And I, I like that. Yeah, everything looks a bit seedy and decayed, mm. even before we get to Krinoff. Mm. And the sets mm. are, are simple, but they're they're enough to conjure up the atmosphere, and that's what mm. that's what we need. Mm. I like, um, yeah, also also on visuals. I had two other points here that yeah. I made my notes about. One of which is serious, and one of which is completely off the wall. Um, but yeah. the Nymon themselves, I, I I rather like the design. I think I think they're a good, and they are a weird design, mm. but they're um, I think they're they're very effective. I, I just think the the movement completely, um, completely <laughs> yeah. throw, throws them. But when they're standing still, and, and they weirdly enough, they remind me a bit of the monsters from Quatermass in the Pit. The aliens, they've got something mm. somewhat insectoid about them, as well as the bull sort of things. Whether it's the big, big red eyes or something like that. But is it based on Minoan drawings or something like that? Mm. If one, if either of you done any research, can you answer this for me? There was a myth going around, which may be true, that these they were supposed to remove those bull-like heads, and they were just helmets, and they had a different... Oh, good lord. Some sort of different look underneath. But they, in the end, the budget didn't stretch to two sets of heads. And that's why oh. they look a bit a bit static hmm. and mask-like, because that's what they were supposed to be. What, but whether that's just something some a fan invented after the fact, mm. I don't know. It, I, I was thinking that if, um, if it had been in the RTD era, they'd have been... You know, they'd have a proper cow heads, wouldn't they? You know, like the, um, <laughs> you know, the rhinoceroses mm. or whatever else. Whereas this is more, much more stylized. But mm. I mean, you know, why would they look exactly like a bull? I mean, that's taking things perhaps a bit too far. Mm. So it's they're just sort of bull-like. What was your other one? My final point on this was just going to be 
Um, the, and I was <laughs> I was completely gobsmacked by it because I hadn't, hadn't watched it for ages and I thought, hang on. And uh, clearly the Pet Shop Boys work with a costume designer who um, is a fan of The Horns of Nymon. Because if you look at some of the stuff that um, Chris Lowe has worn and that they wore on, wore on their Pandemonium and Electric Tours, there are larger, <laughs> virtually every element of um, Commander Sorek's outfit has <laughs> appeared at one time or another on Chris Lowe's they, upper body. They didn't, they didn't actually hire June Hudson at any point, though, did they? I don't, was it, was this a June Hudson gig? It was, yeah. Ah, really? Which is another, another one. Ah. Of those weird similarities between season 17 and 18. Mm. They're supposed to mm. look so completely different, but she does the majority of the costumes mm. in both series, I think. Mm. And, you know, I, you've got to love her. She's the most extraordinary flamboyant costume designer. Mm. Mm. Suits Blake Seven very well. Mm. But Doctor Who, for me, it's always hit and miss whether <laughs> designs are in sympathy with the story. Mm. And I... Mm. I, th- I think it's a bit over the top here. And another one of those elements mm. where I think people take a very superficial look at it and think, that's silly. Mm. Stop this, it's getting yeah. silly. And it's just... I notice um, mm. Sorak takes, starts taking his hat off as the story goes on, which will be Colin Baker in Ark of Infinity. <laughs> yeah. At some point, decided it's ridiculous. I can't act under but, this mm. thing. But they are splendid costumes, aren't they? Yes, yeah. But yeah, you you have you have a look. The feathery hats and the big, big bulky upper upper body jackets. Though I think yeah. the Pet Shop Boys one was made of straws. At some <laughs> point. That's, I mean, they, um, they're going for yeah. I guess the costumes as same silhouette though. Exhibiting all the mm. pomp that the society itself is lacking. People are just yes. trying to yes, Machismo. Them. Yeah. It's, mm. um, I think she was quite canny about what she was um, reading into it. Mm. Clearly read the script. Well, obviously, but you know, paid attention to it. Yeah, the other thing I like from the last episode is that the Nymons are very, very slow in their pursuit mm. of the people escaping. But fortunately, so is K nine. So actually, <laughs> the, you know, the, the, both parties move e- equally slowly, allowing them to be ca- caught in the end. Mm. I suppose that's a, f- a flaw, but somehow it, 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 it's quite nice that it that it, it matches up. I also said when K nine came on, up on the on on the scene at the end, oh look, it's Canis X Machina. I, I don't know whether that's a, a thing. No, it just felt like, it's very like good. It, it, well, it, it was, will uh, be. I'm going to write that down. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> it will be now. <laughs> well, I'm going to pitch that as a. Uh, <laughs> now I shouldn't I shouldn't say these things on record, should I? <laughs> <laughs> goes my plausible di- deniability. I'd say it's far too good a line for this podcast. Mm. <laughs> so, so use it with my blessing. Thank you. My last few big Finnish stories have had the most extraordinary puns in the titles. Um, so that would, yeah. If I get, if I get a reputation for that sort of thing, I'm going to need help with them because I'm running mm. out of puns. <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's a nice section in this as well with with um, with Krinoth. It's very a bit, very much like the parallel Earth in in Inferno. Mm. You get a chance mm. to see this is what it's like down the line. This is where it's going to end. Um, I mean, there's there's not a lot of effort put into it, but you you do get a a sense of this is where they're headed. Mm. I, I thought that was quite I mean, a nice think, touch. Think about the small cast with only two speaking parts on um, what's it called again? Not um, Skonos. <laughs> on Skonos and one on Krinoff. Mm. Um, mm. I think Anthony Reid must be being extremely disciplined mm. as a former script editor mm. in not and uh, not unlike so many other script editors who once had left the program seem to completely forget 
all the rules mm. and start writing things that couldn't possibly be made. But he is being very generous to Douglas and to give him mm. something that, which doesn't yeah. test the BBC's capabilities. And even then, and even then, the they fell two, short. Two, two <laughs> speaking Anethans. He hmm. must have thought I made this as simple as possible, and you still couldn't quite stretch to reach it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much. Mm. <laughs> There's a lovely nod as well to the kind of lack of budget when. Um, uh, Tom Baker uh, says, "Ah, there's going to be millions of them coming," and I think it's Janet Ellis comes yeah, out with a, with yeah. a line of what two at a time. Um, <laughs> I like I like that because that is the sort of thing we think yeah, in every other story. And you've only got two schools of writers. The ones who think, "Well, let's not draw attention to that." I can't <laughs> yeah. think of a plausible explanation for this, so let's not draw attention to it. And then my preference is where you. <laughs> You take the time to explain it away, and yeah, then and then your audience think, that, think that you they mm. they think that you respect them, the audience. Mm. If you go to that trouble, yeah. There's a brilliant go back to your constituencies and prepare for government moment from uh, Soldeed as well when he's talking to the, um, the sort of half dozen uh, people in the council chamber. Mm. Uh, you know, then the, the Nyman's going to sort everything out, and mm. everything's going to be wonderful. My favourite bit of bad extra acting is where, who is it? Is it Sorek who, who rushes in and says, what's going on? And to a man, they all ad-lib, we don't know, <laughs> almost in unison. I mean, they, so obviously the director suggested, why don't you, uh, what, uh, they, they said, should we do anything, Kenny? And, and he said, well, I don't know, maybe one, one or two of you could say, we don't know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and they rhubarb! Take, rhubarb! <laughs> rhubarb! They take it marvellously, literally. <laughs> Uh, right, let's move on. We can't possibly cop top that observation. Yeah. <laughs> that sums it up. My dreams of conquest. So yeah, so 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 fr from from that to um, to the God Complex by Toby Whithouse, mm. which I think is a bit forgotten. I would say in the in the history of Doctor. I don't. Mm. I mean, I'm not saying that everyone has forgotten about it, but I don't hear it discussed very often. It it, it seems to be maybe overlooked in that kind of crazy series six when uh, everything was going on and there, and there were sort of mad schemes and, and, and it's it's not quite completely divorced from that storyline there's, there's a little bit at the end that sort of ties it in but but it's not it's not really in the thick of it all mm. yes yeah, funny that isn't it fans have this tendency to to divide episodes into important ones that have something bearing in on the structure or the ongoing plot and filler everything's just filler mm. drives me mad i mean it all mm. <laughs> most of the best stories are would count it as filler in that sense mm. yeah, yeah good but i mean for me if if i was forced to try and do that then things like i don't know the curse of the black pearl is is pure filler for me whereas the gold complex is a is about something mm. and all, for yes. me it always stood out i personally have never never forgotten it mm. and not only because because I'm a massive Nymon fan. Mm. Me and Toby were the founder members of the Horns of Nymon <laughs> fan club. <laughs> well, I guess it does stand in the middle of, or towards the end of one of the most densely arc-driven series of new new Who, yeah. doesn't it? I mean, really, I think people, yeah. unfortunately. Mm. But yes, I, know, I certainly, I find, I'm no great fan of season six, but, oh, series six, but I find those, the standalone, the more standalone stories... I generally find more tolerable there mm. than um and some of them some of them are very good in fact. Mm. So. Well, I, well I'm going to nail my colours to the mast. I mean I I I have to say that I always thought that my favorite 
new series writer was Stephen Moffat after his very strong start. Mm. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking may, maybe, it, may, maybe it is Toby Whithouse. I mean, this this one in particular, I think, is an absolute tour de force. There's there's maybe two or three ideas, but they're, but they're they're very well thought out, and the whole thing together is is an extraordinarily unsettling story mm. you know a story about the, the 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 power and the danger of faith although to some extent also you know it, it's both good and bad in the story it's it, it's nicely nuanced and and it's it's the doctor who meets meets the shining um, <laughs> you know it, it it's a wonderfully incongruous set in 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 that hotel um and yet it's got you know it's got you know some 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 high science fiction concepts i i I, I I think it it you know within within what's well less than forty five minutes by the time that you've tagged on that Moffaty bit on the end, mm. there's a huge amount that's in there packed into that that sort of fairly small amount of screen time. The fact that it's um, taking its visual cues from The Shining seems so obvious that I don't know why they didn't actually reference it because Doctor Who mm. nowadays is um, metatextual enough to yeah. get away with it, but perhaps they thought that would be going too far and that it was actually just a a production decision that would be undercut if the characters commented on it, because it is it is trying to get the same effect, unnerving effect as The Shining, isn't it? So mm. I guess that would to hang a lampshade on that, as Giles would say, mm. would, <laughs> would um, yeah, would probably spoil the effect. Mm. But no, it's definitely it's a reach to suggest that Faith plays any serious part in Horns and Nymon, but here, I think it's the best exploration of that topic we've had in. In New Who, and uh, one of the best in the entire run. It reminds one of Curse of Fenric. That's one of the other stories that comes yes. close, mm. isn't it? And they have the same gimmick at the end, where mm. the Doctor has to force his companion to lose their faith mm. in him. Mm. It, take, it takes a gentler approach this time. Yes, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's it's perhaps a nice companion piece with Gridlock, which we talked about mm. you know, a few months mm. ago, which you know, looks at a different side of faith. Mm. It does. Yes, sadly I don't have any. Um, I don't. I must confess, this is I, I think probably the first time I've rewatched it since since airing. So although I've come away with a favourable impression, I haven't really developed any huge overarching <laughs> overarching rants or theories about it. It it pulls sure. off the sort of I don't know. I was going to say bait and switch, but that's very unfair. That a lot of new Who stories do in that they start off selling you one idea and switch to something else on, on route because it's pushing the... It's directed like a proper horror film right from the off mm. and keeps up that atmosphere. But then at the end, pulls the rug out from under you and goes for that other mm. New Who favourite. The monster isn't evil. Mm. It's just uh, just misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> but, but again, I, some of those ideas... I tend to roll my eyes when I see them coming because they're often done quite badly. But here... Mm. Toby is a very skillful writer and pulls pulls that off. Mm. I mean, it, it's yeah. it's a tremendous for, for me a tremendous start. I mean, you, uh, it's not as long as some of the pre-title sequences, maybe two or three minutes. But you've got this kind of fabulously weird opening with with the policewoman and the um, going into the rooms with with the, with the mm. quite disturbing visuals, mm. and then the uh, the arrival of the monster n- nicely. Um, kept off camera really so you just keep get sort of aspects of it rather than the whole thing yeah it's 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 it's, it's really rather splendid mm. 
The direction is absolutely terrific. Yes, Completely in yeah. sympathy with the writing and taking it to another level. Mm, I mean, I don't have to... Yeah. S- <laughs> again, I was having to stretch to say nice things about what Kenny McBain achieved. Mm. Now, what's the name of the director on this This one? was Nick Hohen. And he just right. comes... He just come off the back... He did quite a lot of um, series six and seven. Uh, but he mm. just come off the back of doing the um, the Prisoner reboot. Right. Funnily enough. Uh, which ah. also was quite good from the... You know, had that kind of trippy visuals. I remember quite enjoying that at the time. He directed the whole lot of that, and visually, no, that he... was quite. That was all quite striking as well. He throws mm. all sorts of tricks in in here. It doesn't just pick one nice trippy effect and stick with it. Mm. We get a. That's mm. one of my favourite. Uh, the the camera work around the um, ventriloquist doll scene. Mm. I've just realised yeah. it reminds me a bit of Sleuth. Do you remember Sleuth, the Laurence Olivier, Michael Caine mm, film? Yes. There's a lot of unnerving, slightly askew, Dutch-angled shots of um, of dolls in mm. that, which I guess is an obvious way to film them, but only obvious once a particular genius has thought of it. Mm. Oh, they, there you go. He went on to direct um, The Day of the Doctor, amongst others. Oh, well, there and you go. It, mm. And he did a couple of the um, better Sherlock's, I think, in terms of he did the... Right. Uh, There's the, one particular... He did the, he did the line Detective. There's one particular trick that he uses a lot, which I can't even tell whether it would have been completely invented by the director or if it was hinted at in the script, and if so, I can't think how. But when the characters first come under the influence, or when the influence of the, the uh, creature is starting to ramp up, mm. and you get fast cuts mm. between them smiling and looking normal, and you know what I mean? Mm. Yes. Very fast montage of different clips of... Mm. Faces in different mm. different expressions, which is quite unnerving, but mm. also sells you what's happening inside these people's heads at that point. And I can't mm. imagine how that might have been suggested in the script. So if he, if the director brought that in, then well done. Mm. Yes, as you, as you say, it's it is directed like a like a horror movie. You know, it's got that mm. that sensibility throughout. You know, I know I'm no great fan of horror, but you can spot the, you can spot yeah. you can spot the tropes and the the, the flourishes, and it does does create that very unsettling effect. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so people talk about Doctor Who being scary, and, you know, clearly it, it can be scary for children. I th- I mean, for me, this is the closest it's ever going to get to being scary as an adult. Now, I mean, it's I'm, I'm not going to say it's scary second or third time of watching when you know what's going on, but I recall watching this the first time and finding, I suppose, not deeply frightening, but 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 sort of scary, unsettling. What's going to happen next? Do you know, is there something behind me? Kind of that it, it played in that kind of space, and, and and so I think, yeah, probably as close as, as as it's going to get. Some of the other ones that have been, you know, described as being really scary, I've kind of thought, hmm, hmm mm. not not really for me. But this one did hit. There's a, um, I'm sure it's it's not intended. To parallel but there's a parallel image i thought of um joe's in the chair with the tape across his mouth it's a bit like john pertwee in the um spearhead from space thing where he's whizzing in the wheelchair mm. and he's being abducted from the hospital <laughs> yes it's 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 nice i think i think also nice the way that each of the characters goes through the same arc but they're kind of intercut and you don't necessarily pick it up initially but you know so so one of them's going into their room while another one's doing the going through the praise him bit and then they hit it and then someone else is finding there and 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 you can it, it, it's very nicely paced so that there's always 
something about to happen mm. if you can spot going back through it but but uh, uh the first time through um the the mystery unravels in 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 a, in a, a nice way yes yeah and it gradually each one kind of takes things forward each time someone goes through the process it kind of takes things forward in the in the plot mm. to, to us understanding a bit more about what's going on and a nice reveal that the doctor has actually been giving people completely the wrong advice yes mm. Is that mostly there to lead into him deciding that Amy and Rory might be better off without him at the end? Well, that appears to be why he's dropping them off. That that he's that a they've had a bit they've had too many brushes with death, but b he kind of he's he's lost faith in himself in a way. So that's that's so that's another interesting mm. question of faith. But it does it does appear that that until up to this point he's absolutely confident that he's going to get them back safe, and and, and now he isn't anymore. Mm. But on the other hand, if you look at the context of the overall season, that was building towards what's happened or already happened at, the, at Lake Silencio, where yeah. the Doctor has seen that he's apparently died on his own, and so there's a certain amount of... It rather, spo- it rather spoils it by the fact that the Doctor then appears to go on a 900-year bender or something like that, doesn't he? For, um, yeah. Isn't there some, <laughs> some throwaway line it's in other than the next episode? He goes, goes and sees... Sees Craig again, and then goes, you know, before he goes to Lake Silencio, yes. and he, he seems to spend a lot of time faffing around, which obviously we know because it's a program about time travel is kind of plausible, but it's yeah. um, I guess he knows he needs to drop the characters off, and um, yeah, I really like that, and in some ways it's a, it's something of a shame that that wasn't the real goodbye to Amy and Rory because it would be, a, yes. it would be the quite nice and refreshing way for to actually you know bring an end to a companion story in the within the new series instead of everyone having to be having to be torn from the doctor's side kicking and screaming yeah one way or another because they you know because they all have to be like the best ever and it was quite nice to just think okay go and get on with your lives and uh yeah i don't want to take responsibility for getting you killed or nearly getting killed every week or getting Rory killed every week frankly <laughs> <laughs> yes well that there is something of that too mm. Yes, it's, it's Rory and Orton. Mm. Anyway, and of course, that's cool. also um, played into, I think, um, the other thing from the Doctor's point of view is because of the Rita business, because Rita is a very good, another great example of a companion that could have been. Yeah. And um, really good good character, good actress, and so on. And, and the fact that she, you know, the fact that he doesn't save her, I think that obviously plays into the, mm. you know, plays into the decision right enough. Do we think that's the main reason that the story is structured that way? That it's because in any normal story, the Doctor would lose a few of the less important guest characters, and then the one that we've grown to like most would be the one who's that he would save. Mm. And here, here, having gone through the cycle several times, and you get to the point where normally this is what would you know Rita being in peril be mm. the thing that ins- inspires him to save the day. We get another iteration. Mm. And do you think that's just? Do you think that's mostly done just to be surprising? Just b- because Toby doesn't want his stories to be mm. quite as formulaic as as your average Doctor Who, or is it because is it to get, make the Doctor Doctor extra, get him into the right emotional state for the end of the story? Mm. I tell you what's refreshing in the in the Moffat era is that a character who dies stays dead. Um, I mean, again, I mean, I'm I'm, mm. I'm not particularly morbid, and I and I've never really seen the need for a lot of people to die in the course of a drama to make it more dramatic. But I always, but I do think that if you're going to kill someone off, you at least deserve the decency of keeping them dead and 
mm. you know making that that moment mean something rather than trying to play on people and say oh it means something and also look we've brought them back as well so you've you mm. know, not only have you had that that you know the moment where you where you suffered loss but you've it's all everything's okay now mm. it, it, because you know which isn't of course our experience of life mm. um it it, it 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 always seemed dishonest to me that and 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 this this is this is a more honest approach that 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 when something awful happens it 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 it, it is awful and it stays being awful mm. no I, I agree absolutely about that it is a refreshing change and you know as you know, not as someone with a great bloodlust either but it's just like if you're going to i don't I don't mind perils of Pauline type situations where people escape, you know, with mm. with one, you know, in the in the absolute nick of time. You know, that's that's the stuff that Doctor Who is made of. But I mm. I do, and I've I've always somewhat objected to the to the bait and switch aspect that has been prevalent in you know, and it was arguably prevalent in some bits of RTD's series where it was like, oh, you know, this time that the companion is really going to die, but they would have. It would always be a metaphorical death or something like that, or there'd be some get out, you know, with prophecies, etc., etc. And then in the Moffat era, where it became more explicit that you know, quite often we did apparently see major characters die and then have them have them come back. I'm Paul. In answer to your what you were asking about, whether it was one thing or the other, I know. <laughs> I guess the trite thing is to say both. It's also worth bearing in mind that Toby would probably have been aware of the the, su- yes. the success of the Linda with a Y. Well, quite um, scenario, which was. A very... I was just going to say that because I, I can't remember whether it was would have been screaming the obvious at the time that Rita was being set up for the same fate because it is. We have seen it before. Mm. I don't think it was. I don't think I. I did think. Well, I can see where this is going, and of course. Mm. They do hang a lampshade on it. I'm going to keep saying that now that you've brought it in. <laughs> I think is it Rory who says every time the Doctor starts. Oh yes, of course. He attached does, to something yes. like this, I mm. start thinking, worrying for them, mm. and you think, well, they can't possibly have flagged it up in the dialogue, mm. <laughs> and then follow through on it. But but they do. Mm. Mm. It's mm. the only thing I'm never quite sure about because, not so much because I'm in denial about the fact that <laughs> Rita doesn't make it out, but it also seems to slightly fall into that trope of the peculiar subset of stories where the, the least pleasant character is the only one who makes it out. Mm. Like, mm. I think I've referred to this, Voyage of the Damned um, makes a big deal out of that, doesn't mm. it? Mm. Is that the one with the Titanic? Yes. yes. Which, and in fact, I think it comes from <laughs> the least, the least movies, pleasant actor. It? No, sorry, I wouldn't want to. Um, <laughs> I, don't want to I don't want to damn David, David Williams with being in the same league as Claude Swift. Mm. I'm sure David, David Williams is a lovely bloke. <laughs> I think the last time we discussed this was uh, in the Donald Trump episode from the most recent series. Mm. Back on thirteen cast, mm. where we were wondering why Chris Chibnall let this mm. this person escape the story, seemingly not having learned any lessons, let alone gone unpunished. Mm. But that was baffling, and it still is. Here, I don't think Toby's making any particular point of, about the fact that what's his name, Gibbis? Gib- yes, Gibbis. Gib- Gibbis. His cowardice and self-interest allows him to survive, but that's just an observation. Mm. It's not the moral of the story. Mm. It's just S- honest. Mm-hmm. So I, I I wrote down some of the dialogue at the end about about the faith thing. So, so what the doctor says is, it's not fear, it's faith. Not just religious faith, faith in something. They all believe there's something guiding them about to save them. That's what it replaces. Every time someone was confronted with their most primal fear, they fell back on their most fundamental faith. And all this time I've been telling you to dig deep, find the thing that keeps you brave, and made you expose your faith. 
show them what they needed. Mm. So yeah, interesting. So 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 I, I suppose what what the doctor is saying there is that on the one hand, the faith that those characters have had is the thing that has sustained them thus far, and it's been a positive, well, potentially positive anyway, influence on their life. And then this character has come in and, and grabbed hold of it and, and used it as and amplified it so that they they lose the sense of what they what they originally had faith in and place it in this bull-like character. What, does it get a name? I can't remember. Or is it just the thing? don't think it gets a name. I don't think it does, no. No, no. Just, just that it's a cousin of the nylon mm. or something like that. Yeah. So I guess, so where... Where Russell, I suppose, has seen in, in gridlock the power of faith to keep people going in, in a dark situation, regardless, I suppose, of whether there's any content in that faith. Mm. In this case, it's, it seems that Toby has a sort of darker view of, you know, and, and, and I guess we, you know, we, we, we see it all around us at the moment that, that people take that, you know, the, the faith that people have and they, they sort of screw with it. You know, and, you know, mm. and certainly we, 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 we see now that with 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 the current political situation in this country people have kind of lost a sense of what the original situation was and now all they have really is faith either in Brexit or the European Union and 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 I mean that's not true of everybody but there are but there are a lot of people who've who've, who've taken a side and now they all that's left is the side rather than the the, the, the original reason that they had for for picking the side and and it, it does seem that there's maybe something of that in the ultimate end for for these people that 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 the faith that they had in in the thing that that was important to them has has been lost and yeah. now all they have is the damaging faith mm. the, the blind faith and to extend the metaphor it's that void can be filled by unscrupulous people who yeah. know that that the public needs something that people need something to believe in and they will give them something mm. but for their own ends indeed yeah yeah so Dominic Cummings is a minotaur. Well, certainly he understands the oeuvre into which the minotaur is playing, yeah. Oops, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of food for thought there. And and, 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 uh, and I guess Toby knew... Well, he didn't, I'm not saying he could predict the future, mm. but he could see where some of this stuff ends up. Very, very clever. Mm. So uh, it works on two levels. It works. At, he was asked to pre- fulfil a specific function for this store in this slot in this season mm. that drew a wider a wider theme out of it as well mm. and mm. that's why he should have been the showrunner mm. but perhaps he still will be mm-hmm. I have faith I have faith in Toby Woodhouse <laughs> less faith mm. in the BBC controllers to appoint him mm. <laughs> and interestingly that the God Complex uh, Rita and announces this it's is is the doctor feeling that he can solve any problem, and, it, mm, and it's yes. I mean, it's, I mean, I suppose mm. it's 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 a it, there's there's a two or three meanings, but this is the this is the one mm. that's brought out in the script. Yes, and of course, Nymon of course has it has a power complex gag as well, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> yes, I'd... that fits, mm. as Romana pithily says. Yes. Yeah. And again, it shows Toby is clearly a mm. proper fan. Of mm. n- of nylon, I think. Well, do you know, are we going to move on to the links then? Well, why not? You uh, apparently found hundreds, so should we do one each and then let you <laughs> finish them off? Um, actually, no. Here's one that isn't a link. Mm-hmm. In the gob complex, it's made clear that the uh, the hotel is a prison. Mm. 
which is a link to the original Minotaur myth. Mm. Yes. So it's not a link with the horns of Naimon where it's more, I don't know, it's a temple come scientific laboratory, but in no sense of prison. Mm. It just visually resembles one. Indeed. Can I ask, there was a line early on in the Gob complex which um, went past quite quickly and I didn't write it down. Do they refer to the, the fact that the, ho- the layout of the hotel is changing? That it's yes, fluid. Yes. Yep. Yes. So that is a, a link again with Horns of Nyman, where the mm. it is. we have what is, I believe, is called in mazeology a, d- a dynamic maze. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Now I went off to. I assumed because I, um, to be honest, I'm more of a Doctor Who fan than I am a student of classical mythology. I kind of assumed that the original Minotaur labyrinth from the Greek myths must have been a dynamic maze. Mm. It sounds like something that. As canny Greeks might have invented mm, yeah. a maze where, where you turn around and it's and it's not a, not as it was. But from all the research I've done, it d- doesn't look like the original myth did incorporate that element. Well, it wouldn't have worked with that with the string, would not it? That I've it ever, yes. No. Mm. So I'm not saying that Anthony Reid invented the idea of a dynamic maze, but he grafted that concept onto the mm. the Minotaur in the labyrinth for Horns and Nymon, mm. and mm. thus. To the limited extent to which it appears in the God Complex, that's again something Toby's brought from Nyman, not from the Minotaur myth. Yeah, and and what but what I like about that is that in in the Horns of Nymon, I mean it, it's used, but it's not used terribly effectively. And you've got that sort of stupid moment when Seth and Tika get separated. But I mean, honestly, how could she not see that the war was coming? Mm. She's about three yards away from him, and then somehow allows. Ah, but. I, I just I just realised as you were asking that I just realised the answer to that, which is it's the same as the um, door that's not a door or the wall that's the wall that's the door. Ah, at the end when they yes. can't see the exit. So their 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 projections not. I think I, right. I suspect that the okay. the, re, the reconfiguration is it down to project, projections rather than. So it's not like a big, okay. big chunk of wall sliding over. It's just okay. like something turns on and it's and there appears to suddenly be a blank wall behind you. Hmm. Uh, that well, okay. that would be my. That's me. That's me um, saving saving the phenomenon, as it were. I I I, I like that because it because it makes it makes it seem less stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, that's also somewhat referenced, um, flipped on its head with the scene shortly after they arrive in the god complex with the with the door that's not a door and so on with yes. the blank walls and so on. You could, mm. you could argue there's a that's kind of taking that same little mm. thing and. Um, and just start referencing it slightly. Sure. I mean, what, what, so what I like is that, that in the Gog complex, they take that idea, which is, again, it realised somewhat poorly in, in Horns and Nymon. Great idea, not necessarily all that visually well represented. And, and, they, and with the more modern technology and with better direction, suddenly it becomes... Uh, you know, a much more interesting concept. You get the kind of the the weird angles, the fact that that you know nobody's quite sure where anything is. The 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 TARDIS disappears, or is that behind a wall? It suddenly becomes you know more of a thing and more of a present danger. Mm. Yeah, but but yes, obviously a, a, a link between those two. Can I just ask another a couple of specific things with regards to the God Complex? Personally, for me, I found Matt. I found eleven to be a, a bit grating here compared to compared to the experience of rewatching um Cold Blood. Right. Like okay. um for our previous one, whereas which was season five, Matt and I found him constantly fascinating and interesting. 
and whereas this seemed to be to me rather more you know has it developed too many tawdry quirks I, yeah. yes yeah to be honest it's, it's what I always feel about as soon as the writers get a handle on as soon as the writers yeah. get a handle on what the actor's doing they start writing it into the script and then and then the performance just becomes larger and somewhat more predictable yeah interesting Compared, but there, there, there are some lovely bits though. I mean, the, the bit with the only bit that really sort of stood out to me was the little bit where he's he's uh, warning off Gibbous about um, yeah, you know, he kind of bends over and whispers in his ear and you think, yeah, that's the that's the eleventh Doctor that I really liked and found mm. fascinating in in series five. It's kind of the apogee of the kind of all the worst aspects of of, of the Moffat era this this season isn't it you know you in that almost incomprehensible season finale which we're building up to but but you know just generally Amy and Rory of all and the Doctor of all become a bit too set in their ways and a bit too quirky and 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 a bit too cute and uh, yeah I mean I I think on the whole it it, it doesn't come it doesn't come off too badly in the story I, th- I don't think it spoils the story no, but it no. is it's it, it, it you're right it is that kind of period in 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 where things are getting just getting a bit a bit over the top there's, there's the line in it where he where he's trying to take get rid of of uh, amy's faith and he says you know i'm not a hero i really am just a madman in a box but the way that he does it again is slightly slightly over mm. the top and 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I can't see too many other of the doctors describing themselves as a madman in a box. I mean, they might describe themselves as, as maybe unworthy of 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 hero worship. Mm. You can certainly imagine Davison having some sort of a speech on in in that regard. But, but yeah, uh, a madman in a box is a little bit too. It's a bit too um, much of a t-shirt moment. Yeah. Yeah. And then Rory has about four, doesn't he? I, I think I, I think I've had there were about three or four. Gags related to Amy beating up Rory. Oh yes, 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 yes. Thinking, okay, yes. Once was funny, but that's <laughs> give it a rest. But yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. She hit me. She hit me with a shoe. Her mm. foot was inside at the time, or something. Yeah. Right. yeah. Mm. Paul, are you? Uh, I sense the. Uh, you've, you've gone silent, and I. I sense the silence no, started that. Or, I was or just a, enjoying you ripping it all apart. Expression of <laughs> Sorry, so I, I don't want to. Um, don't want to wail on it, but it was just something. Something slightly. Negative that grated with me, and um, and the other question was: uh, Does any did the Doctor's door thing ever pay off? It yeah. did. Yes, it, well, but it does. With hindsight, but not well. With hindsight, it's clearly a retcon, as the fans yes. would say. Mm. Uh, am I? I'm not imagining this, am I, Richard? It, it's revealed to be Amy's crack in there. It is. Um, it eventually. is. It is Amy's crack. Ah. But the one in her bedroom, rather than the other one. Mm. What should again, with that in mind, the Doctor says when he opens the door. He says sadly, "Of course, who else?" Who else? He, does, he yes. says, "Who else?" Who else? And yeah. So that's nonsense. That's nonsense. Mm, what it yeah. should be, of course, is um, the War Doctor. Yes. Which, which would have yeah. worked very nicely, mm. yeah. but it wasn't. Yeah, and I, I, I think if if Toby Whitehouse had anything in mind, it wasn't the crack. Uh, and but I mean, he may well not have had anything in mind, and it's rather a nice line. Who else? Mm. You know, I mean, it just. It, you don't re- you, you you don't really need to know who it is. Well, I think I always assumed it was some aspect of the Doctor himself. Yes, in the yes, same sense that in Amy's choice, it's revealed it the Doctor. that yeah, the yeah. thing he hates most is himself, mm. which yes. is where I was trying to nick the Chaudry Quirks line from, mm. unless I misquote. Oh it. yes, of course. Yeah. No, mm. he got it from somewhere. But yes. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Sorry, getting back to sorry to divert divert us there from looking at connections and 
No, I think well, I think it's it's a good discussion. Mm. So uh, we've uh, we've done a lot of connections, quite a few disconnects, haven't we? Is there anything? Have we? Um... <laughs> have we exhausted this, Richard? Did you did you have anything else on your? I'm 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 just trying to think. List. So we we we've, we've killed killed the faith thing to death. We've we've got the moving wars. We've got the it's a bit like the nine one. We've so this isn't necessarily a connection. But we've got this also very moffaty bit at the end, an ancient creature drenched in the blood of the innocent, drifting in space through an endless shifting maze. Mm. For such a creature, death would be a gift. Then accept it and sleep well. I wasn't talking about myself. Mm. Um, it, it, I don't know, it's, a, it's almost like Les Dawson rather than... Um, <laughs> you know, this, this, this beast. I don't know, it, 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 it's, a, it's another one of these slightly too obvious uh, comments. Mm. You know, uh, it, it, it's or it's like a line out of "Have I got news for you?" or something, where they, you know, they're obviously trying to take you one direction, but it's, but it's, but it's too, it, before before they say I wasn't talking about myself, you can see where it's going. Yeah, are you cynic? Apparently, it's the first line that um, that, that Wittes wrote for the uh, for the story. Was it? Apparently, yes. Okay, but I suppose it's also it's a um, mission statement for the story. I guess you then know what you're building to. So mm. that you can do a silly patents which gag about the doctor. <laughs> so what's this taunt us? We often end up, some, on this show, we sometimes end up searching desperately for connections between stories where there's only something very tenuous. Other times there's something very obvious, and it's so obvious that there's nothing, nothing really very profound to get out of it. But I, th- I think here we've got a, a nice mixture of all of those things. There is a genuine connection between the two stories, which we've elaborated. Mm. The, the, the production differences between the two eras are pretty obvious. We, we mm. barely need to go into that. The fact that these stories are linked, but the warlike invading Nymon of the seventies have been replaced by the by the monster that is as much to be pitted as censured mm-hmm. of the twenty first century is possibly yeah. the most obvious difference when it comes to telling the same story decades apart. Is that the big? Is that the main thing you have to change nowadays? Mm. Well, I mean, you don't have to. Mm. I mean, I mean, I, I guess it's it's interesting. I mean, you you talk about the production values that you know, clearly you can see if as much as anything, what the God Complex shows you is that if everyone is pulling in the same direction, <laughs> what you can get from the plot is quite extraordinary. And you and you wonder if that if Anthony Reed's script had had the the help that. That Toby Whithouse has got, and Toby Whithouse had had the cast who couldn't, you know, care quite as much about it, and the director who didn't seem to to be all that focused. Whether you know we'd we'd now be looking at these and saying, oh, I guess the masterpiece that was the Horns of Nyman and the God Complex didn't quite live up to the same promise. Uh, you know, it was possible. <laughs> I think that's entirely possible. Absolutely, I think with less sympathetic, in less sympathetic hands, a lot of the power of the God Complex would have fallen away. And a th- with more sympathy, the Horns of Nine would have built upon what I forgot to mention earlier, which is that it's not... It is, if you just write a one-line description of the plot about evil alien, alien aggressors invading another planet, but it's a new take on that. It's a silent invasion. It's even a new take on the silent invasion. I think the gag of having the aliens pretending to just be one yeah. while they're silently amassing mm. is, is pretty... Is pretty unique and like mm. i said it has quite a lot of atmosphere but it could have had mm. yeah if it was made again now mm. i think it could be just as unnerving mm. 
It's interesting. Got these, 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 are, these are aliens that actually look like clones. I mean, maybe they're not supposed to be clones, but they look more like clones <laughs> than the Sontarans do, don't they? Mm. Do you remember, do any of you remember uh, Animal Quackers? Children, uh, ITV lunchtime children's yes. program from the mid-70s. Yes. The, the, the Nymon, I think, I think it's been said before, but they do, do look a lot like the slightly tatty costumes from Animal Quackers, right. which is a cheap British imitation of the yeah. banana splits. Yeah. So R- banana R- Rory, splits, Rory, tell us a story, yeah? R- yep. Yes, I showed my wife an episode of Animal Quackers uh, the other week. <laughs> it's a cruel and unusual punishment. I've, yeah. She hasn't recovered since. Right. She, she, she wasn't party to it at the time. Anybody who <laughs> who doesn't know what I'm talking about and for some reason would li- would like to just Google yeah. Rory from Animal, Animal Crackers Quackers yeah. and uh, and Nymon. yeah <laughs> and then do that do that private eye thing where you <laughs> pretend that they're interchangeable. Yes. <laughs> well, you never know, uh, um, Paul. We you may find that in our future publicity, we do exactly the same thing. It's not just that it's a tall actor in a tatty outfit, but that they're wearing platform heels. That's the point. Because right. they're the the characters in Animal Quackers. Sorry, I didn't quite get where I was going with that. Are all supposed to be members of a glam? They're animals that are members of a glam rock mm. group, and the Nymon are clearly wearing the most extraordinary mm. uh, high heels and look like members of uh, Sweet yeah. or. Um, I mean, you know, let's face or it. Mud we, or mud. We we never get to find out what the Nymon get up to in their spare time, and and they may well be glam rockers. They could explain a lot. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm using Google Image right. Search and having flashbacks at the moment. <laughs> I'm just, this is, we found. This is, I'm, I'm just, it's, yeah. It's I think, I, I think I've, yeah. I think I've, 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 I think I've opened my, my own personal room in the gold complex. <laughs> I found what might be what might be standing sitting in there. Well, on that, that lion. Yeah, I'm afraid that yeah therapy doesn't come uh, complimentary with this. Mm. Um, I'm afraid. So. <laughs> yeah. As Douglas Adams would say, any any problems you've still got are um, entirely your own. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, look. Thanks. Thanks both of you for that chat about those two stories. I think that's I think that's interesting, and I think our listeners will have a, uh, have had an interesting time listening to that and and coming up with their own theories. That's so. I guess a couple of things that I wanted to say to the the listeners out there in podcast land. So the first is. I mean, we we genuinely would like to hear from you. I mean, we've mentioned it maybe a couple of times, and there hasn't been a lot of feedback. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the sketch alluded to it. I mean, it does sometimes feel like we're talking to nobody other than ourselves, and and you know, for all we know, that's exactly what's happening. Um, although Podbean does bung up some numbers every now and then to suggest that in fact other people have been downloading it but oh. you know of course they could have been downloading it and not listening or in fact it could just be an algorithm that produces vaguely plausible numbers to keep us reassured and keep churning it out <laughs> it's, and, true. it's uh, in their, it's in their interest the, the, the money it? every month yeah mm. <laughs> um so yeah if, if you are out there and you are in any way uh, enjoying it or even hating it it would be it'd be nice to hear from you to you know, to tell us what it is that, that 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 you've indeed liked or not liked about it. Also, I think if if you are by some miracle enjoying it, and if you haven't actually switched off by now, um, it would also be great if you could tell other people about it. You know, insofar as as we're you know moderately relieved that the numbers aren't terrible, uh, it would be even more 
um, reassuring for us if, if they were slightly better than they are. So yeah, I mean, the, the, you know, the more people that get to listen to it, the more we feel you know, enthusiastic to keep going with it, and, and the more of this kind of garbage will continue to churn out. So, it, it, you know, it, 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 this has to like be it, the most diffident sales drive I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, it's the best you're going to get from me. My dad was a salesman, you know, you never would realise it from uh, from my efforts. Uh, any messages from the other pair of you? Do you want to solicit, do you want, how about a competition? Let's try and solicit some comments. If anybody has an idea for a something who um, compare and contrast session, if you think you can do better than the tenuous links we make, <laughs> send them in on the back of a postcard or stamped or <laughs> sealed down envelope, and we promise to ignore them. No, no, we promise to, if we use any of your ideas, we'll, we'll, uh, yes. yes, please tweet us, yes, attribute yes. them, yeah. We can't guarantee to return them, but there is a price for every one that we show. Um, mm -hmm. No, no, we, we, we will call out your name, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yes. Giles, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure, as always. Well, indeed. Yep. I've enjoyed it. It's uh, gave me a chance to rewatch a couple of things that I wouldn't have um, necessarily picked yeah. off the shelf immediately otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> What's next? Do we know? Well, we're 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 homing in on November, Ooh. which you know, in, in Doctor Who land always has a special. Doesn't ring any bells um, to me, does it? <laughs> so I was thinking that we might go on a bit of an um, anniversary story bent. So, so yeah, I mean, maybe maybe dust off your copies of Three and Five Doctors. <gasps> okay. Oh, and and of course for the new series, the Day of the Doctor, <gasps> and we might do a a, 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 a triple episode. Triple yeah. whammy. But, but but probably not all in one go because that might be too much for anyone to cope with. But yeah, maybe split over a couple of shows. Right. So thank you, listener. We'll see you here in November. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so it's bye from me, Richard. And it's bye from me, Giles. Uh, well, do you, are you really making me do this? And it's <laughs> no. goodbye from me, Paul. Uh, it's entirely your own choice. Okay. I, I recant that previous ex exclamation. Good. So yes, so then there'll be the uh, outro music and then no doubt we'll pick some of the uh, worst things that we came up with uh, in the course of the episode and bung those at the end and that'll be that. An hour and 45, that's, that's all right. We should, should edit it down sure, to about an hour and a half. So much for it been a short one. Well, it, it, you know, it, was it, that? It's, it, it's, about, <laughs> it's about right. I, th I think about an hour and a half is about right for something who... It, it, yeah. You know, we, we, we can tr well, I mean, we did a short one with the Terrence Sticks thing, but it's not really our style, particularly when we start talking about stories. I just really... You missed a trick there. I mean, even though it wasn't a bitcher, you should have done a compare and contrast with him and another writer. <laughs> a better one. No, a worse one. <laughs> <laughs> Preferably a worse one. Um, I thought it was interesting, actually, um, the Robert Sherman thing, the the story that he told about Terence Sticks. I mean, Terence obviously lived with that uh, awful speech impediment all his life, in in the same way that Robert uh, had to uh, Robert Sherman had to overcome his, um, which, which I presume made him much more conscious of and prepared to to tolerate Rob's when it came to it. But but yeah, that was that was interesting. I mean, mm. you know, we we. 
we've all done our, uh, our Terran Sticks impression, but um, it, kind of, it kind of cast it in a slightly different light for me. Oh, is it me? <coughs> right. Um, yes. Oh, so it is. Yeah, yeah. Hang on. Mm. <laughs> Didn't work. Gargling go with right. whiskey or just a necking, yep. one to, necking one to get ready for the... Uh... Right, there goes. Uh, was that all right? I, I just realised I changed a word. As I came to the what, I changed it to our what, because it suddenly struck me... That uh, sorry, where's this? Uh, you... You said uh, you say our listener maybe trying to recreate the source of our creativity, and I was supposed to say the what, and I just said yeah, yeah, our, no, no. our what, which well, I I, 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 it, it's certainly very natural and yes, it was yes, I think yeah. It sells I mean, the fundamentally, jokes. that that's that's a case of of, of um, poor authorship. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, as long as you're happy with that, love. It's... So so we'll 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 do it another time, but I'm sure we'll go with that to take. Okay. <laughs>